we go out, we we overspend, we undersave. It's like that's how we live, right? And you know, a couple of people who who you think have it don't. So you find that everybody's living this way. So it's like, hey, we all fat together, man. Let's go some donuts. Let's go. Almost 20 years ago, our paths crossed in the sneaker world. And since then, we have been on a professional and personal journey together. We've made a lot of mistakes and had a lot of fun, and even a few wins along the way. Our goal is to share our experiences and insights so you don't have to make some of the same errors that we did. And in addition, we want to help you begin to think about things a little different. So join us as we unpack our unsolicited and sometimes polarizing views on business, faith, and family with questions that make you want to unfollow. What's up, man? We are back. Episode six, Unfollow Podcast. And last week, I technically had off. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting back into our conversations. Yeah, off for Daryl means like he was away, but not necessarily in the vacation mindset. So, you know, it, it's okay. It's good to see your face again. You got a little tan. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm excited about this conversation, man. I, I, I hope I don't disappoint you or you lose respect for my financial acumen. So uh at, at the very least we'll have something to laugh about <laughs> well before we jump into finances um tell me about this social media fast you've been on for the last what two oh weeks? it's good yeah so yeah i guess we're you know we're recording this on october 13th so we're you know almost halfway through uh the month and yeah on october 1st me and my wife alicia decided to unplug so we deleted all the apps from our phones we logged out of all the sites and you know apps on our laptops and so we've been you know a ghost this do- digital detox has been great uh, we were saying yesterday we, we don't miss any of it i don't feel a loss of connectivity or community in many ways like i feel more community because i'm actually you know i'm doing things i could have done without social media right i'm having coffees and breakfast and lunch with people but um i think more importantly it's allowed us to i should be the gate for what i consume and social media because you know it's designed to hey here's this one thing you need but here's these other 10 things to get you to engage to comment to share you know I, yeah it's it's hard to turn off that dopamine and you know go on and do something constructive so for us it's just kind of a, a reset so it's been great it's been great mm-hmm. how do you rationalize it especially based on your line of work and also like as we do this, right? Like social media is just kind of part of it. So how do you rationalize it versus personal versus business use? Like where's your head at on that? Yeah. You know, I think there's seasons and purposes. And I look at some of the authors or storytellers I really respect. And you can, you can go on good thing social media, you can go in and see what people have created over years. And I, I can see this pattern of like, oh, they're just posting about or somebody's posting from their account about something, but you know, like he's not engaged, he's doing the work. And so I think for me, I realized during this season, I need to take the time to focus on creating and building something. And I don't need any really new stimulus to do that. I've got stacks of, I've got more books than I can read. I've got more ideas and writing prompts and stories and rough drafts and manuscripts that, so I don't need like, Oh, here's the latest thing. I needed to process. It's almost like I went to a buffet and I've been eating <laughs> for like a full day. Now it's just time to like process and digest this stuff. And so I, I don't need more Facebook food or, you know, or a Twitter buffet to help me get 
you know, healthy. I actually need to learn how to process what I already have. So for me, uh, and I, yeah, I'll be back because we'll have to promote and publish content and need to build digital communities. But I want to build it back uh, in a way that's probably more responsible of my own personal or family boundaries. And also just a much more um, progressive way to look at when should I consume, what channels, you know, Facebook. I don't know. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I don't see any value to going mm -hmm. back to, to, to Facebook um, necessarily. So, yeah, there, there are several things I want to build back more uh, intentionally than what I had done by just saying, hey, sign up for every account because I'm in digital marketing yeah. or I'm in branding and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting conversation for you to have either from the stage as you talk about marketing, right? Or if there's ever a future job interview, it's like, how do you really feel about social channels? Yeah. It's like, hey, the guy that's not on social channels. Yeah. How can you really, you know, participate? No, it's, it's, it's fair. And, you know, I'm halfway through. So I think uh, we'll see, you know, what sticks, what stays and, you know, what what goes away. But, yeah, it'll, it'll be a cool opportunity to share that. Yeah. That's cool. All right. So last episode, you asked me a machine guns worth of questions about real estate and my yeah, perspective on financial security based on real estate, right? So now it's my turn and I haven't go. like you with these questions. So it's going to be real, real time. But as somebody in you that has taught financial um, wisdom, they call it financial peace university, but you've basically taught financial um, education classes for the last four to five years. Um, I have a bunch of questions to ask you about um, what your view on finances are today. But my first question is, is where were you about 15 years ago? Oh, 15 years ago. So 15 years ago, where do you, gosh, so this is like 26, 27. I am at Liz Claiborne, Kate Spade. So I've got a, I've got a corner office at Empire State Building. I think I'm the man. I thought I made a lot of money that time. I was making $90,000 as director of marketing, but working in New York City, but living in New Jersey. So half my check was gone from New York City, state, federal taxes and New Jersey taxes. So half the check is gone. Um, and so I probably had minimal, I had maybe a highly visible like career. So I had probably the prestige of I worked at a fashion brand so I spent money on clothes and that kind of stuff to look the part but I was a financial baby like I, I, I had debt I hadn't paid I had credit cards I had just walked away from you know when in college I put a whole like semester uh to get a new apartment uh furnish it you know I put a whole semester of furniture and stuff on a credit card and then you know didn't have money to pay it so you know I was like yeah credit score whatever and so yeah even though I was making I was taking decent money at that time. I, I wasn't very knowledgeable of uh, economics, compounding interest. I had done some things. I maybe had a 401k, but very like bottom of the barrel. You know, a couple of years after that, you know, I was, you know, dead broke. So, I mean, let's call it my net worth was zero, like, uh, you know, like a lot of people still in this country. And so, and my financial literacy was also pretty low, like a lot of people in the country I'm finding. So I was starting from, you know, negatives in, in many, many ways. What made you change that mindset? So there had to be something in your life that happened that was a catalyst for change. 
Can you talk yeah. about that? Maybe it was a low point. Like, what was the shift? Yeah, a couple of different situations. One was uh, probably a couple of years. This was like 25, 26. I remember, you know, I had, uh, I was 40, 40, under 40. So I won this award. Uh, my parents flew up to come to the ceremony. I was in Black Enterprise, you know, next to Jay-Z and Tyler Perry. And it was like Adrian Parker, footlock, you know. So I was feeling myself from a career perspective, but like, Dude, I was living check to check. I remember um, my parents were in town and I got towed. Um, I took them out to eat at Junior's, uh, you know, like cheesecake, you know, restaurant and in Brooklyn. I got towed and, you know, I had not paid uh, any parking tickets since the whole time I had been working in New York City area. So I get towed. I have to, you know, catch a cab with my parents, right? They're up there to celebrate me and my career success. And we had to catch a cab back to my my place in Jersey. And then the next day I had to go with the car. Wipe me out. Wipe me out. Paying the tickets and, you know, call it 800,000 bucks. Couldn't do it. I was like, literally on the same week I was getting an award for call, you know, advertising, you know, and, and marketing prowess. I was like dead broke. And I remember like that thinking that like, this is my fault. Like I did this to myself, like that living check to check, not really tracking, having the budget, the economic um, ignorance of just not, you know, paying attention. And, you know, not, you know, I, I made enough money to, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money, but I made enough money to like pay my bills and have an emergency fund. And so I think it dawned on me then that like there are people that are making less or the same as me who aren't going through this. And there is something that I could do, be doing differently. There's got to be a better way. And yeah, I went through the same thing in health, you know, step on a scale and you're 275. You're like, yeah, this probably isn't healthy. Right. So I got to start the process of like getting in shape, losing weight and everything. Um, so in every area of my life, I've done the from to right. And the financial economic piece of that has been a big from to. And now, you know, 15 years later, right, I can see, whoa, like maybe I'm not the you know, metaphorical version of an Olympic athlete or professional athlete. When you look at my balance sheet or what me and Alicia have accomplished economically, if you look at where I was, the, you know, from to, you know, yeah, it's, it's drastically different. And I think it took those humbling failures for me to see that I, I, I'm in my own way. Like, yeah, there are systems and barriers in place, but there's blind spots as well that and I'm responsible for doing it on my own and no one's going to help me. No one's going to save me. It's up. It's up to me. Yeah. Yeah, man. Okay. So such a good story. A couple quick questions. Mm -hmm. You were single at that time. So there's nobody else to blame yeah. the spending on. Yeah. I was single at the time. Yeah. You know, a couple of girlfriends here or there, but yeah, single, no kids, no wife. There, yeah. There's no, yeah, no, I did all, all my fault. Yeah. Yeah. So there's nobody to blame the budget on except for yeah. you so what was yeah. heavy in the budget at that time that was basically taking you back to zero every month you know what's sad and so i didn't do this exercise till probably two or three years after that so i'm, I'm probably about 27 or 28 at this time when i actually sat down to do a budget scary right um now it wasn't just doing a budget it was doing a basically an autopsy on like where's my money going I remember, you know, I get my statements. I'm like, yeah, I got more money than what I need every month. So every month, living check to check, you know, you don't think you're living check to check because you're like, I covered my bills. I'm having fun. I'm good. The paycheck will be there every two weeks. And then, but once I actually looked at, hey, let's look at three months of bills. Where's my money going? 
embarrassing. I mean, I was spending thousand dollars a month on going out, buying drinks, restaurant, food every weekend, go to the mall. Hey, buy a shirt. You know, I got like 10, 10 blue shirts that all look the same color, like nothing like tolls back and forth to the city. Like, it was nothing. And then, you know, when I moved out to Texas, it was the same thing. I, I carried that same mentality, you know, when trying to launch a business. It's like, you know, well, buy, buy a Jaguar because that looks successful. And hey, get the nice suits. And $1,000 a year literally just flowing right through me. Like a thousand a month. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Thousands uh, no. a month. Yeah. Or, thousands a month. Yeah. Wow. On, uh, you know, discretionary, you know, high consumption lifestyle. Right. And so. I wasn't, I wasn't saving. I wasn't investing. I was getting money and spending it. You know, I was giving it to somebody else. And so, um, it didn't feel bad or irresponsible at the time. Cause I felt like it was just a reflection of I'm single. I do. I'll be responsible one day, but right now is the time to like YOLO let's go. <laughs> so where did it start? Like, where did the change happen? The humbling experience for me was, I think, uh, after 2008, you know, having an agency, work with you and, you know, just kind of having a, a business that you want to build and seeing that kind of fall apart. And I remember, you know, this was 2000, I think, nine when I had to borrow. I, I was done. Like I, I cashed out a 401k. I put everything I had maxed out credit cards to try to keep some businesses afloat. And I had uh, some clients I was trying to close on. So it was, I was right there. I was so close to like closing a deal that would have kept me alive another month. And so I was sitting in front of my dad, um, having to ask him for, you know, I think it was like 1700 bucks, 1,700 bucks to get through one more month. Only that it was all my fault again. Right. So this is after I got towed and went broke. Fast forward. I did it again. Right. So it's like, it's like, and I'm also dating a beautiful, amazing, gorgeous teacher who would become my wife. But like, OK, there's, I saw this fork in the road, right? Of like the guy that is going to be worthy of asking her hand in marriage and being a future father and a husband and a leader. And the guy that's just going to like squander, be opportunistic, take big bets, risk it all. That what I thought was, you know, the business lifestyle. Those those aren't compatible. And so kind of choosing, choosing Alicia, choosing stability, choosing responsibility meant doing the work of like, hey, checking your credit score, writing letters to everyone and like consolidating, paying off my debt, looking at all the like bad habits I had done over years and looking at all the mispayments and like sending letters, uh, living on a budget, tracking every penny weekly to know where my money's going. Um, and then once I got employed, I got a corporate job at Radio Shack. This was 2010. And, you know, that, that was, you know, that was a godsend. That was like I was so broke and trying to just stay afloat. And I remember, you know, I, I got hired. Lee, Lee Applebaum, you know, gave me a shot to run social at Radio Shack. I was on fumes. Right. And at that time, that salary, I think that was one hundred and ten thousand dollars a year. I, I remember when um, he called me because, you know, we, he was like, well, how much, you know, don't make me negotiate with myself. So you're like, what's the salary range you're looking for? And, you know, he, you know, so I'm acting cool on the phone. I'm like, he's like, yeah, so here's an offer. I think, I think it was about 110. Um, you know, okay, well, I'll, I'll get back to you, you know, send the offer letter. I'm, I'm cool. I get off and I'm like, 
shouting and like, oh, I'll like praise dance. I call Alicia, like, dude, I got the job offer. <laughs> right. Cause it's like at that time, I mean, that was that was life, man. I mean, I'd spent three or four years without a steady paycheck and um voluntarily. And so I think I just made a decision that there has to be a way to be responsible with my finances, get out of debt, learn how financial literacy actually works. And you, know, you get heard the thing. So it wasn't a lack of knowledge, it was a lack of desire. But I, I let that um, desire to be a better, you know, husband, future husband, future dad, really guide me to this, you know, change my mindset that, hey, this, this is a sustainable way to live. And obviously, I'd seen, I grew up, you know, in, in situations where people didn't have money. And, you know, my father, my father voluntarily, somewhat voluntarily in poverty, right? So my dad was an engineer from the first black engineers to graduate from Texas Tech. My dad was a civil engineer, built dams and roads all across the country. So my dad was upperly mobile, white collar, chose to go to seminary. And so we went into poverty voluntarily, right? So it's kind of this thing where we didn't, wasn't, you know, we didn't have opportunities. My dad had opportunities. He chose to live this lifestyle for for, for ministry in, in, in some ways. And so for me, I knew that I needed to change the trajectory and I knew money was going to be a, a critical tool and that living the high consumption, you know, high income, what I thought was high income at that time, right? High income, high consumption lifestyle is just a recipe for disaster. So the only saving grace was that I had enough time to get my stupidity with money or a lot of it out early. So my 20s, I bumped my head. So at 30s, I'm like, let's go. So it, it's the point in the movie where it's like, you know, the, the hero fails, all hope is lost. He lost the battle. He's headed home. And that moment happens. And, it, you know, like cue the, the score happens. And you're like, I can own my destiny. The next 10 years will look nothing like the last 10 years. Let's go. And I, we started to rebuild our economic lives brick by brick. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So I want to point out something, though. You got a job offer for 110000 after you essentially were broke um, while trying to run your own company and the financial decisions that you made in running the company, I think need to be kind of separated from your own personal decisions, but it sounds like you were still behaving in the same way that you were when you were making $90,000 in New York at Liz Claiborne. Is that correct? For the most part. Yeah. 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 I'd say that last year I had gotten a lot more discipline, right? So my dad loans me money. I stay afloat. I end up getting a client couple clients so i'm like now i'm like actually doing what i should have been doing right like accounting looking at how much money i'm spending on output like tracking business expenses and like it took me probably three years to learn oh this is how you do it and i, I could have kept doing that um as well so yeah I, I think a lot of it was just due to like mismanagement um of but that to your point did have this you know light bulb moment hey there's a better way but yeah those same habits those money habits, like, you know, it's, it's never a math problem. Money problems um, for a lot of us aren't math problems. They're mindset problems. Now, obviously, there is poverty. There is systemic um, issues. So I'm, I'm not saying that piece. I think that's a whole other kind of piece of it. I'm talking about, like, people who are employed, who are just making decisions that are counterintuitive to the life they ultimately want to have. Yeah, um, it's almost like you had, and I liken this to, being um, intolerant to insulin, right? You had been pumping yourself so full of stuff, right? That your body was just 
you're just consuming, 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 consuming. And it, it was turning it like it wasn't doing its job. It's, it's no different than when we're consuming high carb high carbohydrates from a, a pack or a piece of plastic. Right. And our, our body isn't doing a good job or it's producing all the insulin it needs, but we're not doing a good job of processing that. Right. And so we add fat cells. Yeah. It's very similar to what you were doing in metaphorically yeah. in that, like you're, your behavior, you, you have an income, but you're behaving in a way that it's like your body can't process, like your bank account, your budget can't process, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a it was, me- yeah. metaphor for physical and um, financial. So my question to you on that end is like, you were overweight at that time, right? And you're also yeah. financially a mess. Yeah. In, like, in yeah, way, every were they, area. Were they yeah. hand in hand? Yeah. I think some of the, you know, is it, correlation between the same behaviors and mindsets that allow you to maybe um, delay or downgrade mm-hmm. healthy habits for your physical body. Some of the same that could probably promote, you know, from a financial perspective. So, right, so yeah, and I'm no, you know, sociologist or economist, but yeah, I believe, you know, obviously um, levels of, or levels of um, poverty or people who are let's call it underemployed and that correlation to, you know, health issues. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I think there's something there. I, I think it takes a desire. You know, you got to almost like have that mindset shift um, to get out of it because you know, when you're in that, right. So to, to go to the, the fitness analogy, right. It'd be the same thing as like, you're walking around, everybody's like overweight. So it's like, it's normal mm-hmm. that we spend what we, we go out, we, we overspend, we undersave. It's like that's how we live, right? And you know, a couple of people who who are um, you know, who you think have it don't. So you find that everybody is living this way. So it's like, hey, we all fat together, man. Let's go some donuts. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, it, it's so true because our finances are invisible, right? Like if you could almost have a ticker over top of everybody's head of their budget, you know, of their uh their current account status, all that kind of stuff, it would be wild to see you know, who really has assets versus, you know, who's really in the hole. So Radio Shack job comes along, it's 110,000 a year, but your behaviors had started to change, right? So what was different about this time versus the last time? Uh, Partner, you know, I, I, Alicia, right? I mean, I gotta be honest, like, she was probably the biggest linchpin to all of this, right? And I think because not only did she come from a background where she was like very like budget conscious and like she saved like, and she learned that from her her parents or anything. She just was always on top of things. So I think she taught me healthy habits. On uh, so I was like, it's dating. I'm like, oh man, there, there's there's a so like to add value to a person that's already like economically stable without you you can't bring the garbage inside the house right like so like I, I had to quickly grow up from that perspective but i think one thing too that helped us was that it was the vision for the future right so if go back to the health analogy right when i and this was you know years after that it's probably seven years ago I, I remember you know yo-yoing with weight right and you know well i think on the podcast last season i shared the story of like I wrote down, I want to be a healthy husband for Alicia and a fit father for my kids. So I can actually play and enjoy and set a good example. Well, 
we did that same thing for our financial future. We said, what would we dream together? What would our financial future look like if we got out of debt? If we were able to be an example to our kids and our and our direct you know family on, hey, is there a better model of managing your money? What would it look like if we could you know live live off one income? What would it look like if she didn't have to work and she could stay home because she wanted to be with our kids? So we just start dreaming together, and the dream of what we could build together became really the fuel, and then the habits supported the dream. So it wasn't about like being strict with money for the sake of it. It was like. No, I want her to be able to stay at home. So you know what? Let's live off my salary. She's still working, but her salary goes to paying off her debt. Let's live in an 800 a month apartment while everyone else is buying houses so we can save more money. Let's not go into debt. Like, let's pay off, you know, all these things. And so the vision for what we could build almost honestly became the real catalyst to, to building it. But without her partnership, and her um, already natural financial kind of conservatism, I, I I don't think, uh, you know, if I if there was a version of her in alternate universe, right, that was like, spin, 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 Neiman Marcus Sachs, let's go. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if we're having this conversation, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so good. Um, okay, so Alicia was not taught financial literacy at home, per se. You, as good of a family structure as you had, you still weren't taught financial literacy. Is that correct? No. Yeah, it's correct. Yeah, you know, you just kind of, I don't think we ever had budget conversations. We just knew we didn't have enough. Uh, but no, I think there was really, really conversations around balancing a budget, compounding interests, um, delayed gratification happened because we didn't have the money. Like We didn't have the money, so you can't have it versus, hey, we have it, but let's be responsible about it. So I'd learned a lot of that on the job, unfortunately. Um, yeah. So I, I say that to say, I just want to take that off the table, right? Because some people would say, oh, well, you grew up in a great family. At least you grew up in a great family. They taught you all this stuff. And so you already step ahead. They actually know you didn't have that advantage. So you guys, when you come together, start to think like, okay, how can we achieve some of these goals that we want as a couple, as a future family, what were they? How did you guys get there? Like, and give us some of the steps that you guys took to become financially solvent. Yeah, you know, it started with uh, a a vision for we knew, you know, kind of at the high level, we knew she wanted to stay at home. But the only way to do that and not miss a beat was to you know pay off our debt and you know make her work optional was a goal from the beginning. But probably the one of the biggest things we did was take Financial Peace University. So go through the process with Dave Ramsey, right? Um, regardless of what you think about his, you know, politics or his voice, what he's created is like this system, these baby steps that allow anyone to go from wherever you are today, however much debt. So we had about $80,000 worth of debt and we just literally followed the system. And it wasn't, it may, it meant that we couldn't buy a house when we wanted to. We had to drive older model cars longer than, you know, what, uh, marketing director or marketing VP should, um, you know, it meant sacrifice, but it wasn't really sacrifices, but responsibility, right? So first step was getting your emergency fund, saving $1,000 for emergencies, right? So when you get towed or something happens, right? Save that $1,000 is cash, right? You got to get that because, you know, like something's going to happen. And so you just have that just in case something breaks down. That next step was just getting out of debt. So paying off our consumer debt. So that's student loans. That's 
uh, you know, store credit cards, that's Visa, MasterCard, that's consumer credit cards, et cetera, any, any loans that you have. And so we started to snowball that, right? And there, there's a couple of different ways, you know, you could do the snowball, the avalanche. So start with the high interest and start paying that, start with the smallest one. We started with, hey, what's the, what, what's our, you know, our, our smallest kind of monthly payment, started to pay that off. And we just kept doing that. And it took us three and a half years when we started, we paid off $80,000 in debt because we made it, we focused on it, right? That also meant keeping a budget, right? So we had a budget, we knew, and every month we had a meeting and we tracked where every dollar went, where we went under, and we had to plan in advance. So hey, holidays are coming up, how much we're going to spend on gifts? Like, it's not fun conversations, but we had to have them. And so once you get out of debt, then you can start to say, okay, now how do I get three or six months in savings, right? So let me get a half a year of my income or expenses and savings. So now I can use that as a buffer for if I, you know, I Radio Shack goes out of business, you know, or uh, I get laid off or something happens. Hey, we've got a, a bigger cushion for emergencies. And so for us, it, it, it happened kind of simultaneously where we paid off our debt, built out a six month cushion, you know, for like just expenses. And then we started to invest, right? So we started to invest we started with 10% of our take home. Then we moved to about 15% of our take home every year uh, to retirement, right? So starting out, you know, with uh, whether it's, um, you know, 401k matching for sure, uh, IRA, Roth, and then getting into some, that time was small capital investments. Like, hey, here's a brokerage account, small, tiny stuff, uh, nothing really, really major. Um, and then of course, start saving for college. As kids started to come, we, we started at 529, but probably the first three of the core, Emergency fund, paying off your debt, saving, you know, six months of income, that changed everything for us. Cause now, like we had this toolkit that that we could a system that we had in place. And it built the healthy habits, talking about money, relying on money, agreeing, disagreeing, but having that conversation. We have a shared vision for where we're going to spend our funds. Yeah, there were several years where you get a bonus or a tax return and like it's not fun. You're you're paying off what you bought. Two or three years ago, that's not fun, right? Where are we going to go on vacation? No, nowhere. Like, like we're we're going to pay off what we, you know, we're paying TCU, like, and you know, we had a ton of yeah, forty, fifty thousand dollars in student loans, man. I mean, it, it wasn't fun, but it felt so good paying all that off and being like, we own our cars. We we like like we you know we we don't owe a university any any more money. So that changed the trajectory of our our family, to be quite honest. Yeah. That, that single thing. And it, we thought it would take 10 years. It took three. Okay. So you guys set a goal for 10 years, but it only took three. So after you guys had paid off all that debt in three years, what was the next step? What'd you guys yeah. start doing? Yeah. Next step was, you know, I think accelerating, you know, so taking those habits, right? So you're used to, I don't know, spending $1,500, $2,000 a month to pay off a debt. Now that $2,000 that you've been putting towards, paying off consumer debt that you know that is, becomes a lightning charge to accumulating savings but then also investments right so it allowed us it, it's almost like this you know you don't get compounding interest when you're paying off your debt but if you can you can get the compounding habits right and so that habit of like there's this money every month that goes towards something and we meet every month that and then as soon as that gate opens we're out of debt all right we're already used to living you know, at 50% of our income, we're already accustomed. We spent years living on only my income, even, you know, when she was teaching. 
right? So now it's like, well, let's take that and put that muscle right there. And so now that turbocharges our, our investment income. And so for us, it was once you max out 401k, IRA, Roth, et cetera, and it's like, well, we need somewhere else to put our, we, we've maxed out all the traditional vehicles. Hey, let's go into starting a brokerage account. So that, that's what we did is starting, getting into capital investments, um, you know, getting a financial advisor, right? To start, hey, let's put money into the market. Let's start to, you know, uh, you know, just move to that next level. But you can only do that if you've already got your six months, you know, cushion, you've, you know, you, you, you've paid off some things, you negotiated better insurance, like all these, all these micro moments as well. So yeah, then that same muscle uh, became a, a really good, I think, asset when it came to building out, you know, some wealth building triggers for us, which were great. And we could give this whole time. We're still giving as well. So it was, it was awesome. Hmm. That's awesome. So you guys have been giving the whole time you've been still putting away money for your own personal savings and you've been paying off massive debt. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it sounds cool when you say it. I'm like, Hey, that, we were doing that. Yeah. So you do all that. And then, then at what point do you look and you go like, Hey, we're doing something right. Like something all of a sudden went from being like, Oh, that's painful to something feels yeah. good. Yeah, you know, it doesn't happen. It surprised us. I think we built the habits, but we, you know, we never said, hey, we want to be millionaires. We never said, you know, our biggest thing was, hey, let's just pay off our house early. Like that was our only goal. Let's maybe pay off our house. That that was it. Like we just built the habits and the habits, honestly, kind of we got caught in the wake of our own habits. You know, so you so, you know, we're consumer debt free by 2016. That time we had two kids. Right. So we had Caleb and Chloe. Uh, Kate was probably, you know, two, Chloe's like one, one and a half. Uh, that next year, because we have the economic margin, that's the year that we were able to uh, fund the entire year of Christine's house, right? So we're able to that's say, right. hey, not only can we continue to meet obligations for taking care of our life, we have enough margin in our saving and saving to give some away off the top. And so we're able to fund the entire year for, you know, this, this uh, safe house in Africa so that, that was a cool moment for us. And we're like, oh, this kind of feels good to keep investing, saving, but then giving. Now, 2019, I think, you know, preparing for a meeting with our financial advisor, we had found a great financial advisor who had walked us through the whole process and like set up some uh, things for us. And like, you know, from 529 to saving for our kids, explain with us at our, you know, sitting in our dining room table, going through all this stuff, you know, getting our will done. Like we had just done all the adult things. 2019, we look up and, you know, we're like, oh, we're like, we have a million dollars in like assets, right? Or, you know, and like just here. Oh, huh. That mean we're like millionaires? Like, what does that mean? Like, he's like, yeah, you're, yeah, look, look at it. And you got much more like, this is just the beginning. Like, if you guys keep doing what you're doing. So I don't, I don't know. We didn't ever go out and celebrate, but I think it was kind of like, oh, like we, we just realized that these habits added up, you know, and you over that 10 year period. Right. We've been able to you know, not only like, you know, save a significant amount of money, invest even more money. You know, one thing I'm really proud of, Alicia's heart has been here, too. We've been able to give over five hundred thousand dollars. So half a million dollars has been able that we've been able to invest in organizations in churches and communities in people. Right. That, you know, that. And so to me, I'm most proud of the fact that we were able not only, yeah, to build up a, a, a net worth that 
you know, at, at our age is is probably above average um, until I took my sabbatical and like I don't have any income, but like, but only like to give and to model that for our, for our, our kids has been has been remarkable, man. So it's almost it's just the it's the notion that you could like have horrible habits start from somewhere and start to move that needle through the habits, even if it took us ten extra years to get to where we are now, we would have got there because like the it, it like it works right it's almost like the system of like it's just these habits that if you do them if you just keep repeating itself it, it will produce fruit and it's it's simpler and easier than what i think a lot of people believe because you've been led to believe that you need to you know either get this crazy big job or you got to start a business or there's this hack or cryptocurrency somebody asked me that are you in crypto like no we're just boring we just saved and invested and over time it compound it made money for us like very boring like th- th- there is no really good like hero story here <laughs> nah. all right well let me play devil's advocate then so yeah. some people might say well over the last eight years you fell into a dream job you fell into a job at patron that paid you more than you've never been paid um what do you say to that i would agree i, I- <laughs> <laughs> no and, and i say that and because uh, people have reached out, hey, to check, hey, are you good? And then, hey, how you, how'd you do that, right? And so I've had conversations with peers, right, who are probably where I was. They're like in their thir- early 30s who are like, hey, I want to start thinking about what does this look like? Like, walk me through what you were thinking. But yeah, I, I have no uh, illusion that, you know, the salary, you know, over a 10-year period, I had every two years, my salary was doubling, right? $100,000 a year, $200,000 a year. $200,000 a year to $400,000 a year, $400,000 a year to $800,000. Now I didn't get to 1.6, but like eight to nine to, you know, a million. So, I mean, if you saw my, our income, it, it did this, like it skyrocketed. Um, and so, yeah, I acknowledge that that accelerated. And I think that helped us, it moved our goal closer. So it shortened the, the track, but the habits are the habits. So the, that's what's transferable, right? So it's like, yeah, if if I didn't, you know, if we hadn't had a year, we made a million dollars or eight hundred or $900,000. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily be where I am, but I would have gotten there anyway. So I think I'm just a big proponent of like, if you look at, you know, call it the average millionaire, I think there's this notion that, oh, they're, you know, they got lucky, they inherited it. And it's like, no, actually, if you look at the actual data of a millionaire in the United States, right, they work 45 hours a week. They, they work, they sleep eight hours. They're, so they're, they're sleeping. Um, I love Gary Vee, but like everybody ain't hustling. Like, I think there's notion that, you know, they have three income streams, right? So it's, it's multiple things. They budget. They're very frugal. They know where their money goes. They drive a Toyota, a Honda. Um, you know, they're, you know, they wear $50 jeans. Um, and th- they don't spend on the glittering stuff. The most, is ever, the most they've ever spent on a car is $40,000. The most like ever. And honestly, you know, one of the, the groups that, you know, do this well are uh, teachers and teachers make $40,000, $50,000 a year. So I, I guess I'm more of a proponent of the system works and if you can accelerate it. So even peers of mine, right. And I know, you know, like the people that make two, three, four hundred thousand, that is a great source of wealth building. I think there's a notion that your, your income is what you live off of. You can turn your income into wealth building. Um, if you can stay at this level, that's the trick. So if you can stay here, no matter what, if you're making 800 or 
100. But if as soon as that starts to creep, that lifestyle creep happens, um, that makes yeah, it hard. By here, you mean expenses, right? So to kind of draw that out yeah. for people, your income was going up exponentially, but your expense trajectory was pretty much on the same path, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we kept our expense, expenses pretty tight. Yeah, I agree. You know, you know, there's some years, hey, you could go to Cabo and we're going to stay at, you know, the nice resort and, you know, spend all crazy money on a spa day or I bought some art. Yeah, but but for the most part, right, if you look at kind of where we look, right, so over a 10-year period, say I grossed, gross, so this is total income, $5 million in, in 10 years, right, we've been able Probably, you know, a good 60% of that we were able to translate into it didn't pass through me. So the big change between my 20s and 30s is that not letting economic resources just pass through me. Now I was like, no, 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 let's stop it. Where should this go? All right, this goes into an investment account. This goes towards college. This goes towards et cetera. So that's probably the biggest thing. And you could do that no matter what um, income level uh, you're at. And yeah, so for us, we locked in kind of, hey, here's where we're going to be. Um, and I'll be honest, I, I wish we had probably said even lower. I, I, I think where we are now is comfortable. I wish we had kind of locked it maybe two years before and said, hey, let's live at $150,000, $200,000 a year, what, you know, what, whatever that is, and let's live it here and let's ride out. So yeah, if I could do it differently, I, I probably would have been even more um, aggressive. But I think the biggest notion is that it's offense and defense, right? So defense is saving, discipline, et cetera. The big piece is, is also offense, which is what you're doing, right? So you and Joe are building businesses, equity. You guys are building profit. That's offense. And that's the part where you need the de defensive discipline and the, you know, translate your income into investments. But like now that I, you can take your products and services and sell them, like to me, that's the thing. So that's what I'm going to, excited about now is like let's go on offense to build something and do that and i think if you can unlock those in whatever stage of life you're in i think it i think it gives you a an opportunity to create wealth but only if you can lock in you know that 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 you know reasonable lifestyle which is hard to do you know in, in some states some cities so i think that's a good transition into myths and misconceptions what are some myths or misconceptions that you often deal with when you're teaching financial literacy financial education I think one is that making money is bad, especially if you grow up um, in communities where you don't have a lot. You're sometimes you're indoctrinated either directly or indirectly that like rich people, you know, are bad or, hey, we're poor because someone else is rich. So the and, and injustice is real. Right. So you, you guys know I'm a champion of that. But I think I've learned that, you know, making money can, can be a skill. Um, there's 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 technique to it. And the more money you make, the more you see people, people who make more money get better at the skill. So that's, you know, that the rich get richer. You so know. they make more money. Yeah. Yeah. So there, and there's a lot, too, that's, you know, that's not just egregious and that's, you know, loopholes. And so it's not all right. Capitalism has a lot of holes in it. But what you learn is like that ability to make money. So I, I think that's one. Um, I think another one is people think debt is normal. Consumer debt is normal. You always have debt. Um, you know, to me, no, like you don't have to have debt. Like you, you don't have to live in debt. Matter of fact, a lot of the high consumption lifestyle, like you're like that lifestyle is keeping you from your goals. So yeah, I, I think that's a, a big one that I hear people say. Um, and I think in our, in the black community, right. 
think there's this notion that, you know, black wealth means you're balling. Like I'm balling. Like you, you, you gotta like flex a little bit. Like I, I gotta, mm, you know, and I've been there, right? Like I'm the guy I came back, had a business, got my Jag, you know, like, you know, to me that was balling. And I think the reality is like, um, we don't have to like, there's no, there's not a competition, right? Like, like, and, and if you look at the statistics, black and brown people, we aren't saving at the rate we should, and we don't have economic opportunity. So now it's like, if you know, you've got more against you financially, economically, how much more harder do you really have to focus to provide and create? So when you get that chance, we should be the first community saying like, nah, 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 like, let's be responsible with it. And so it's not judgmental, meaning some people just don't have the, the knowledge or the opportunity. And I'm perfectly aware of my privilege of like, yeah, yeah, you got to call and, you know, you got to work at Patron and make this corporate salary. And so I get that. And so I'm I'm a product of programs that open doors for me. I'm a product of programs that said, hey, let's open a door for a, 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 a diverse opportunity for somebody. So I'm the product of that, but I'm also the product of my mistakes. And I've seen both where, like, at the end of the day, you know, I think there's this mis- misconception that when you make money, you got to spend it. And the reality is like active, passive investment income, capital gains, dividends, licensing, like there are all number of ways to make money that I think our community needs to, to really tap into. And so I, I just think there's a scarcity mentality um, that we can unlock and, and trigger real change in our communities uh, by like not comparing or competing. Let's just, you know, let's live right here. Live right here. If you're on a podcast, like I'm, I'm drawing a line. It's a very like reasonable line. Like, uh, I wish I had done that years ago. Yeah. Well, as you and I have traveled the world, we see that that condition is not unique to us here in the U S yeah. And it's not, (laughs) it's not a unique condition to either of our cultural backgrounds, something that we all as humans share. And whether we were in Haiti, whether we were in Uganda, you know, whether we've been in Thailand, like everybody, um, struggles with this. What do you think it is at our core that we really struggle with money? Um, and in the, in the way that, you know, makes us either do the subtle flexes, right. Or not so subtle flexes makes us go into debt. Like what is it about our behaviors that are like, where's at the core of them for us? You know, I I think a lot of it obviously is, you know, psychology and there's, you know, different rationale, but I think at the end of the day, I guess I'll answer with my, for what was my, kind of answer right was like my debt was always a direct reflection of my you know my lack of faith in god my lack of planning my lack of um stewardship but a lot of that it wasn't because i was necessarily trying to flex i sometimes i didn't know any better but sometimes like like we live in a culture where we rank everything everything is ranked and we rank ourselves and and, and i think there's this subtle but very deadly, um, this toxic idea that, that that ranking, that comparison happens, right? And so you got something, oh, well, what's, what's the next level, right? And so I think that fuels the consumption lifestyle. And you look, and we're, in, we're marketers, right? I mean, we kind of what we got paid to do for 20 years is create desire, even when like, nobody needs a $1,000, like, you know, leather satchel. No one needs to spend 50 bucks on a bottle of, you don't need any, like you could be okay, but like, hey, hey, right? And so I, I think a lot of it is, for me, at least it was that lack of planning and patience, but also this desire to, to be more. 
Um, so I, I think that fuels a lot of the consumption spending. But I think a lot of the, at least the idea that, you know, the economic disparities that, that we put on ourselves, not the ones that are systemic, but the ones that we create our own disparity. Some of us, I think lack of knowledge, right? You know, I remember when I posted our first podcast, someone I went to college with, it was a very fair response. It wasn't pushback, but it was like, hey, you got to understand that like, there are people who, I mean, this is their like first or second generation of just having money to even have a budget, right? And so you're like, yeah, and, like, and, and everybody hasn't been as fortunate as you are. So I think we have an opportunity. Let's educate people. And I agree. So that's why Financial Peace University, that's why I do mentorship with people who ask me questions on, hey, let's, let me walk you through this, buy these three books, let's set up calls to walk you through some of this. So I think we do have a responsibility to share that knowledge because I think there's a, there's a misperception that when you have money, you got it in some like you're a genius or you're evil. Like money has become this character. It's like, no, no, it's actually very boring. I just made a budget and I track my spending and you do this and this and this. And yeah, I guess I've never seen that not work. I put it that way. And I've heard a lot of stories from a lot of countries. I've never seen someone put together a discipline plan. Tragedies happen, things happen and it goes wrong. But like, I've never seen consistent discipline not work yeah so so just to repeat and recap it worked at a hundred thousand dollars it also worked at a million dollars right the same behaviors worked either place now when you got to the million dollars yeah. it exponentially turbocharged increased the amount of savings passive income you were able to create investments that kind of stuff yeah but the behaviors created the same result for the most part correct yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. I wish right, I had so, said it that way, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was all behavior. So step one was create an emergency fund of at least a thousand dollars. Step two was get out of consumer debt, and step three was learn to invest. Right. Well, three, three last, would be that. Uh, three would be your three to six months. So save the thousand, get a debt, and then save that three to six months in case you know job change, whatever. So yeah, step three would be that. Um, and then step four, yeah, investment. So invest 10, ideally 15% of your income. So if you've been spending that money on paying debt, you know, take that money and turbocharge yeah. it with investment yeah, opportunities. Yeah. So for you guys, it was $24,000 a year that you were able to then put into savings, right? But at that time, you were also able to fund Christine's house, which in your thinking, that's a bigger investment as well. Yeah, I think for us, you know, follow like the Dave Ramsey model, like you say, and then you give towards the end. I think we always felt a burden to like give the whole way through um, and be much more. So we, we've, you know, we've given our goal, you know, 15, 20 percent of our take home. We want to see leave our house, but not leave as in I bought something, leave as in I invested in someone's life organization. So I'm, I'm proud of that. I, and, you know, I, I had uh, coffee with somebody and said, I think you guys have a gift for giving. So I, I get I never even. I, it didn't hit me that it was it it was just like a habit. I was like, no, I don't know. We just we just know that, you know, there's a life after this one and that, you know, I have an opportunity that someone didn't have. And so let me help. So, yeah, to, to me, it's an obligation to to start that from the beginning. You don't have a gift for giving. You have a habit for giving. And we know that habits are our strongest pull. Right. Back to the fitness yeah. thing, whether it's for going to the gym, getting up at a certain time, like we're so Pavlovian. So if you can create those strong financial habits, they're stronger than anything else that you do. Okay. So we're about to wrap this up. I know you've got some books for us. What are the 
three or four books that we should be reading when we think about, you know, financial literacy, financial yeah. well-being? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I'll give you a couple of books that have helped me. One is obviously uh, the actually it was uh, Stop Acting Rich. Now, the, the new book is uh, The Next Millionaire Next Door. So the Thomas Stanley's daughter wrote. So either one, either Stop Acting Rich or The Next Millionaire Next Door. Just to me, it helped me to see what is the real life of someone who, you know, has built, you know, uh, a millionaire lifestyle. And millionaire isn't necessarily the goal. It's just, you know, a million is a milestone of, hey, it took discipline to, to get there. Right. Yeah. So because yeah, so, yeah. we all have a myth of what we think people with money live like. And the reality is the people that live like they're millionaires aren't millionaires because they spend it on not being a millionaire. Anyway, um, so that is one for sure, right, um, as well. All Your Worth, uh, I think I recommend that on season one. It's it's a great, you know, life money management plan, like gives you a template. So that's a template we've used, you know, for the last 10 years of like how to budget, how to look at insurance, how to look at opportunities. Like we've always used, that book, All Your Worth by Elizabeth Warren was our like, that was our kind of, you know, real uh, compass for how to think about our money habits. Obviously, Dave Ramsey, um, you know, he has a complete money guide. He's got, you know, 20 books, but, you know, complete money guide, Financial Peace University. I'd say use those as a good habit forming piece to start from scratch. It's like having a personal trainer at the gym on the first day, like, Walk me through how to do a correct pushup. Like you got to just learn those those basics, uh, et cetera. But I'd say one other: uh, get the books, but also get a financial advisor. Like you know, you like get someone who knows how an independent financial advisor who can give you, you know, I think pretty transparent, um, candid advice. Isn't tied to. And I prefer not tied to like a major, you know, um, you know, uh, conglomerate. Uh, but yeah, get a financial get like I wouldn't. I don't, I can't fix, you can fix cars. I can't fix cars or like radiators or air conditioners. So I, I, I call somebody. So call somebody to help you set up. And it is not a ton of money. Like it's worth, I mean, we've gotten a hundred X every investment we've made in, in legal and financial or any kind of counseling, like it, it pays for itself instantly. So I, that, to, to me, that, that that's a, that's a no brainer. Man, that's so good. Okay. So you'll add all those to the show notes. Yeah. We'll put those books in there. All right. If people have direct questions for you, can they email you? Yeah. Yeah. Email me, uh, hit, hit me up. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to share our journey. Like I said, you get what you pay for, but even if it's just to like point you in the right direction, obviously I'm not a, I think the benefit I would give is obviously I'm not a financial professional, but I've done the work to go from where I was 10 years ago to now. So even if I could be encouragement, right, here's what worked for me. I'm, I'm happy to be a resource, man. That's so good. That's so good. Well, dude, thank you so much. I learned, I would say new things today from you that we've actually never like had an open dialogue about like in, in great detail. So awesome. Thank you. And see you next week. Hey guys, this is DC and this was the unfollow podcast. We hope you like what you heard today. And if you didn't, that's okay. There's 100,000 other podcasts you can choose to subscribe to. But if you like this one, do us a favor and subscribe or share it with a friend.